This morning, we're going to read from the book of Romans, uh, the first chapter, and look and understand and hear the power of God unto salvation through his glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'd ask all able, please stand as we read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Romans 1, 1 through 17. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at least by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the power of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just by faith shall live. Thus ends our reading this morning. You may be seated. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be here. Well, the psalmist wrote, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord to worship. And we certainly, we certainly are blessed. We live in a country, you see it, it's pretty obvious, a lot of darkness in this world, a lot of brokenness. And uh, the church, we've been called to be the light of the world, a sweet aroma, salt, and uh, when I look around and see all the brokenness in the world, I am reminded that God has indeed established this nation. He's blessed this nation. And, uh, and the church, his kingdom, his bride, his people, his children 
we continue to exist, just as he said we would, that, that he would build a church, his church, and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And so there is a light in this dark world, and, and of course Jesus is the light, and we're his people. We're the, we are the bride, and, and it is, I am glad in my heart when, when the call, when, when we say, let us go to the house of the Lord to praise him. So Romans chapter 1, uh, you can throw out your, your sermon outline this morning. I, uh, I don't believe in coincidence. I, this last week uh, was an f- absolutely phenomenal week uh, in ministry. I was reminded again of the blessing to serve God in the various ways that he allows us to serve him. Uh, again, I say I don't believe in coincidence, so a study that uh, we're having on Wednesday nights in First Peter, Bible study, opportunities to counsel people and study with people, uh, there was this uh, overwhelming uh, truth of the application of Scripture as I saw it in ministry this week, and it was a, a blessing. And so I felt really moved this morning to uh, really there be the sermon will be out of First Peter, so you would mark your Bible there um, in that first chapter. I actually, three weeks ago, preached uh, the beginning, just the first three verses on that. I want to focus on one particular statement this morning out of 1 Peter. But going back to Romans again, that great statement in verse 18, Paul writing to the uh, Christians in Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel, or I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now, First Peter. Um, Peter writes to a group of Christians that have been dispersed because of persecution. You read about that persecution in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. There was a great persecution that arose in Jerusalem, and people dispersed, the, the Christians. Now, at that point... If you were a Christian in Jerusalem, in the very early stages of the church being established, you were Jewish. You were, you were of Jewish descent. You had a descent. You had converted to Christianity on the day of Pentecost. Remember, God added about 3,000 people to the church. It, it was established on the day of Pentecost. And within a very short period of time, there was a great persecution from the Roman government and from the Jewish people, leadership in particularly uh, against Christians who were residing in Jerusalem. You remember, if you remember in Acts chapter 8 and verse, or Acts chapter 1 verse 8, flip the 2, 8, 1 and 1, 8, where Jesus had told his apostles before sending into heaven, he said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait, you're going to receive power from on high and you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then even the remotest parts of the earth. And part of The first step started in Jerusalem. And then the next step for his people to be and his apostles to be that witness in Judea and Samaria, a place they wouldn't want to go to. That's not somewhere they would have volunteered to go to for the most part, for a lot of reasons. Uh, It took a persecution, a persecution, a great persecution. And so the people were dispersed. That's who Peter's writing to now. 
and verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle, chapter 1, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens. They were aliens now. I already preached on that, how we reside, and then they were aliens. Uh, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God for the Father, uh, the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey. God chose us. He already knew us. This, God has never guessed. He had a foreknowledge. And then he sanctified us by the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you can read in Romans chapter 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Spirit. You can read in the Gospel of John, the work of the Holy Spirit. It leads us, it guides us, instructs us, it convicts us. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. But we were sanctified by the work of the Spirit. Why? I preached on this, that we might obey. Obey. That we might obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, listen to this. Who are protected by the power of God. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Read that again. Who are those that have been sanctified by the foreknowledge of God, by the work of the Spirit, those who would obtain an inheritance, those who have a living hope, those who are depending on the great mercy of God, are protected. We're protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, um, it's been a long time ago. I was taught a, it was a Jewish rabbinic parable. And I want to challenge you with it this morning. I got to share this with uh, several people this week in counseling and study. And again, it goes back to I don't believe in coincidence. So I want you to consider this. Put yourself in this place. And by the way, Blake Dubeck's here this morning. He came to Wednesday night. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Blake. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time. He gave me, it was just an incredible answer. He came to Wednesday night Bible study and and uh I just, you got to love him. He said, man, I'm sorry I hadn't been here. I had a cough and wasn't here last Sunday. You're 17 years old. And, and so what a, you did, I'm trying to say, Blake, you encouraged me. So it's a blessing. And uh, he's eager to learn. So anyway, here's the, this old Jewish parable. So there's two ways that it's told. There's two different. Uh, I'm going to, I only shared, I shared one. I'm going to give you the extended version. There's four people, four. There's a king. King's one of them. The next one is a, uh, a, a genius, a wise man, incredible knowledge, uh, an Einstein-type guy. The next one uh, is a priest. He's a priest. And the next one is a wealthy man, but not just a little wealth. Maybe Bill Gates or Elon Musk, wealth, billionaire. So you have a wealthy man, you have a king. And now when this parable was 
put together and told and written historically. Uh, a king, it's hard for us to, we don't, if you were born and raised and you lived in America, you don't really, it's hard for a king, we don't understand king. Um, but they understood king. And, and the king was somebody who was completely autonomous. I mean, he was autonomous and he was completely sovereign. That he could, if he just decided, he didn't have a senate. He didn't have a congress. He, he didn't have a supreme court. He was the senate, the congress, and the supreme court. He, he was completely sovereign. It, that's the way they understood him. A, a king, a wise man, a intellig highly intelligent. I'm not, to, again, an Einstein a priest, and then a wealthy man. And you, there's a swordsman, an executioner. And only one person can survive. Only one can survive. Only one. Now, I don't care, uh, seriously, this is, I, when it was revealed to me, it was, it was a powerful lesson. I've never forgotten it, and I found it to be true it's, un, it's unwavering in its truth. So you put yourself, you, you have to make a decision. It's not negotiable. Now, I did talk to someone this week, and they threw some curveballs at me. It was pretty interesting. Um, but, so, but you have to make a decision. Only one gets to survive. The king could survive by your edict, or the priest, or the rich man, or the, you know, uh, wise man. But you, you have, only one gets to survive. And, and, the, and you have to make a choice. Who would you choose? Who would you choose? Just, you don't have to say it, but in your mind, I'd like for you to go through the exercise. Now, one of them said, well, it would, now, are any of these people, am I related to any of these people? I said, no, you're not related to any of them. So you don't have to make a decision based upon family. Uh, one individual said, well, my flesh, my flesh would want this person to live. I kind of like the king to live because, you know, if I made that decision, the king has total sovereignty. I can't, my flesh, I, I'm going to do a favor for the king, you know. So just go through the exercise. What would it be? Um, had another individual tell me the priest. And I'll give you that answer why. Well, actually, several people. And then... Blake, I got, I'm going to pick on you. Uh, Blake, as a 17-year-old, he said, and it's the best answer because it was so completely uh, transparent and honest. Uh, he said, the rich man. And he didn't even hesitate. He said, the rich man. And uh, I said, now, I've been doing this long enough. I could, if I know a little bit about you, I can write who you would choose. And I, I'm not, I don't want to say that proudly. It's just being observant, you know. Well, this is probably what motivates this person more than another person. But he said, the rich man, and what he said was, and I said, okay, why? He said, because he's got the most to offer. That's what he said. He said, he has the most to offer me. Well, America, we wouldn't say king. Now, somebody that's very close to me said king, and I loved her thinking because she equated king with the king of kings, Jesus. So that, that, was, that was good. But not king in sense of like the king of England or, or one of the old kings, right? So just ask yourself who you would choose. Now here is the, the, 
the result or the meaning or the learning from the parable. The old rabbi said this. He said, you will always, and I found this to be true. It's absolutely true. It's true, it's true whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. It's true uh, biblically, spiritually, and it is true earthly, in, in, the, in the earthly. People will always choose who or what will survive based upon one thing. And it is their understanding, their conception of power. Where does power reside? Where does power reside? We'll do it. I think power resides with the king. I think power resides in knowledge. I want the wise guy to live. I want Einstein to live. The most to offer, not only me and humanity, is with the wise guy. The most to offer, that's where power resides. The most to offer is with the king, because that's where power resides. I can curry favor with him. It might be the preacher, because, or the priest. Uh, the one answer that I got with the priest, normally from church folks, the majority is, uh, they'll say the priest. For different reasons, though. But his answer was, I would have somebody to talk to salvation about. So that's where power resides, in salvation. It may be like Blake being just so honest. Well, the rich guy, man, he's got the, he's, he, has, he has the most to offer me. And it could be the king or it could be the wise man. Now, we choose... Who or what's going to survive in our life based upon where we think the power resides? Now, in connection to that, married to that, in relationship to that, are three categories of people. And this is also true, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. And it's biblical. I'm going to give you the biblical evidence of all this. There's three, and you know, you, now, in fact, somebody said to me, uh, he said, man, I never, my mind never even considered any of this. It's going to change the way I think of my life and even the way I assess people. I was told years ago in ministry that you could take uh, the, you know, the membership list of a church. And you could, if you were paying attention, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you could say, okay, this person would choose this, this person would choose this, you know. Uh, and that's not a judgment. That's not a judgment. We're all in different places. We all have different experiences. Uh, we all value certain things. Where, where does the power reside? Because that's what's not only surviving in our life. It's what we're pursuing and what we're giving life to. But then there's three groups of people connected with our thoughts about where power resides. So there's one group of people and it fits every person on the planet today, everyone, who is mad at God, does not believe in God, doesn't care about God, is leaving God. That I don't care about God, I don't believe in God, or maybe there is a God, agnostic, atheist, or maybe somebody's been hurt by, they hurt. How in the world do you want me to believe in a God that would allow an 18-year-old, obviously, troubled individual go into a school in Uvalde, Texas and kill 19 fourth graders and two adults. 
You want me to believe in that God? Because listen, this is why I'm preaching this sermon this week. We're going to get real. That's, and there's those people. I, don't, I can't believe in that God. I won't believe in that God. And it may not even be the God of the Bible, but if they believed in a, you know, a God. You want me to believe in that God? And that's just one example. I would wager that everybody in this uh, hearing today has had some tragedy in their life. Something that was overwhelming to us. That we were at a crossroads in our life and say, why God? How could you let this happen? Why are you letting this happen? So you could be that other person. Maybe you hadn't worked that out. But you could be a person over here. I'm angry at God. I'm mad at God. I'm leaving God. I don't believe in God. The second category of people are ones that, oh, how I love Jesus, and oh, how I love the world. And you can see it by their actions. You can see it by their actions. Uh, I'll go to church, and you know, the Bible has a great deal to say, more to say about this group of people than the other group of people. There's one more, but so I'm over here, or those that are in the middle. I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm worldly. I'm in a constant state of flux. Oh, how I love Jesus. Man, I like what's going on over here in this world. The New Testament writers said a whole lot about the earthly, the worldly versus the spiritual. Then there's a third group of people. And all this has to do with how you live your life and where you believe power resides. The third group of people, I call them not bulletproof, I call them evil proof. They're evil proof. Because these are the people that believe that all power resides, all power. Not, they won't just say it, but they believe it. They've sold out for God. And I mean sold out for God. Sold out. They're just sold out for God. All of humanity fits in one of those three categories. Don't like God, mad at God, don't understand God, leaving God, moving away from God. There's God, but then there's something else. That makes up a large portion of religious people. That's why every one of the New Testament letters was written. Every New Testament letter to the churches was written to Christian professing and faithful Christians who were trying to live as Christians in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, struggling with the things of the flesh. Paul's personal confession and all the letters, Jesus addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor. I've said this before when Gandhi was asked about Christ. He said, I don't have a problem with your Christ. It's that bloody thing he drags behind him called the church. The church was bloody beginning in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. That's when it got bloody. Second chapter, they had all things in common. Sixth chapter, they're fighting over which widows get fed first. And then you have, then you have Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, all those New Testament letters to the church. And then you have Jesus addressing the seven churches in Asia Minor. And so, my question to you as we go into the text this morning, this is a powerful lesson. Go through the process of self-examination. Who would you let survive? 
and why? Why? Appreciate everybody I dealt with this week uh, was just so honest about it, transparent. And then, where, do you, where are you? Maybe you're, because I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest assignments that I ever did from a personal standpoint in ministry, uh, I had to do an assignment of who is sitting on a pew on a Sunday. And whether I was preaching to 50, 60 people or many, many, many people, um, I go through this exercise regularly. I, I truly do as a reminder. And uh, I, each of us came up with a different scenario. I came up with uh, myself personally over 60 scenarios of who's sitting in a pew. Um, somebody that's angry with God. Somebody that's going through a divorce. Somebody that's dealing with rebellious children. Somebody who just found out they have a terminal disease. Somebody who's trying to make sense of God in a broken world. Somebody who's in a great place of joy and peace at that moment in their life. But over 60 of them. And so when I look out in a congregation, I always see and try to see, okay, and then examining myself, where does power reside? Where's Aubrey? Have I sold out for God? Am I sold out? Am I wavering between the earth and the spiritual and earthly? Or am I just mad and exiting? I need a break from you, God. I just need a break from you. Your ways are too much for me to understand. Because it could be that. And it could be any of us sitting in a pew. Now, when Peter wrote 1 Peter, and when Paul talks about the power of God, when Peter, he was writing to people that were residing as aliens because of a great persecution. There was great poverty in the, in the world, in, in Palestine at that time of the world. Their biggest struggle was, their biggest struggle was, what am I going to eat today? How am I going to provide for my family? I need to live somewhere where there's clean drinking water. I need to hide myself on many occasions because there was so much violence in Palestine between tribal people. There still is today. Governments, families. And so when he writes this to Christians who understood persecution like I don't think any of us in America do. I, I don't believe we do. They've been scattered. They're living as aliens. And then depending on where they were, he's, he's telling them, listen, God already knew. God has always known. He's always going to know. And what he did for you is he sanctified you by the power of the Spirit. They had been taught about the Spirit. Let me tell you something. These first century Christians, they had been taught about the Spirit. They had been taught of what it meant to be obedient. When I preached this several weeks ago, I think that's one of the great things that is missing in the body of Christ today. This, we don't act like obedient people. But that's the purpose. And then, it's based upon the great mercy of God. If you don't know the great mercy of God, just read the second chapter of Ephesians. Although you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God saved you. How? Because he has rich mercy. God being rich in mercy, even though we were dead, aliens, strangers to the covenant, 
He saved us. By grace through faith. Not on the basis of anything that you and I would do. Because he has a great mercy. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. Living hope. Now, if I said to you, Daryl, you know, you guys are going to go on a cruise. What are you hoping for? Well, I hope we have a good time. I hope the seas aren't too rough. I hope we get to see a beautiful beach maybe, right? You say hope. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're a teenager about to start driving, you say, man, I, I, hope, I hope I can get this car, this truck. I mean, we, we just our life is full of hopes, isn't it? But the Bible hope, when the Bible and the New Testament writers write about hope, they call it a living hope. Now, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible hope is different than your hope and my hope. The Bible hope says about faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance. So when, when he talks about everything that God has already known, everything that God has done by the power of the Spirit, everything, the work of the Spirit, and the purpose in you and I for our obedience to that, and we, he did it because he's full of mercy, a great mercy. Here's something. He caused me to be born again, and so it's not a guessing hope. It's not a wishing hope. It's not, well, I hope I go to heaven. Well, I hope I'm forgiven. I hope. No, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an assurance. This is a true hope. Not a guess, not a maybe, not a want. It's an assurance. And how do you do it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? To obtain. Most of our life, we spend, and in fact, the writer of Scripture says, the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. So most of our life, in the rat race and in the struggle, and depending on how you were raised, uh, we're trying to obtain something. And from even the lowest on the, you're just trying to obtain maybe uh, your disability check or government dependence. And I'm not even being critical of that, but somebody else, their, their level of obtaining, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want to obtain. I want, I want, to, I want to increase everything in me. It's the guy in Luke chapter 18. He was a wealthy man and he had, he owned much. And he said, Scott, he said, I'm going to build some more barns and silos. I got to obtain this. The rich young ruler, he goes, how do I obtain eternal life? I want to obtain it. I need more. And the problem with that is that everything that you will obtain, every single thing that you will obtain in this life is destined for moth and rust destruction and fire everything that you own there's no thing that you have obtained that is it, this is what it is now the inheritance that we obtain obtain from god verse 4 it's imperishable it's undefiled it won't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you another assurance my hope is sure because God wasn't guessing when he saved me. His work was perfect and complete in the spirit. It was all done through the, the blood of Jesus Christ based upon his great mercy. And what I'm going to get from that, I can be fully sure of. I don't have to hope. I'm sure of it. And it's not going to be like anything I own. It's not going to be reverse, reserved for fire. It's going to be reserved for eternity in heaven. It's nice to have a reservation, isn't it? It really is. And so it's reserved. Now, 
but here we go, who are protected by the power of God. If you've gone through the process, where are you and what, what category are you in and where do you believe power resides? I want you to consider something. I want you to consider something. How would, I want to be evil proof. I want to be evil proof. But too many times I'm in the wrong place. I'm over here. I'm in the flesh. I desire the things, of, of the, but I'm in the flesh. And there's sometimes that I'm, I, I just need a break from you, God. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't understand you, God. I don't know if you've ever been there. There's some great examples in Scripture there. Elijah was evil proof. He was evil proof. Prophets of Baal, he was evil proof. Great story. Mocking those prophets of Baal. I don't know if you know the challenge. You ought to read it. But he was mocking the prophets of Baal. Tell them, hey, God, you know, cry out to your God. He's probably sleeping. <laughs> it's a great story. But after he sees God's tremendous victory over the prophets of Baal, what does he do? He runs in fear. In fear. Why? Because, because he, was, he was afraid of the king. In this case, the king and Jezebel. So he was evil proof over here, but then over here, over here he's thinking, power resides with Jezebel. But I, no, power resides with God. No, I've seen what Jezebel can do. And we live like that. Some of you are afraid of, you know, what's happening in this country. Some of us as Christians are terrified of what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now because we think power resides there. We're, we're, we're terrified maybe what Supreme Court decisions. We might find joy here and sadness here because we believe power resides there. But that was just Elijah. What about the apostles? They were immediately, Peter threw down his nets and followed Jesus and they followed him for three years. They were sold out, man. They were evil proof. God gave them the power to drive out demons and perform miracles. But then they saw Jesus arrested. Judas betrayed him, but they all left him. And in fact, when Peter was the one that confessed Jesus was Lord, when, when the servant girl says, you're one of them, it says he violently profaned. I don't know this, man. Three times before the rooster would crow, just as God said that he would. Even though he was evil proof over here, he, he knew about those, that Sanhedrin and, and the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish police and the Roman government. So he, well, the power resides here, but now the power resides here. Look at John the Baptist. Sold out, man. Evil proof. You're the one. This is the one. Leapt in his mother's womb. 
cousins. And then what happens? He's out baptizing, evil proof. You, you, you Pharisees, who's warned you from the wrath to come? You need to repent and therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. But then he's conspired against and it's an evil plot and an evil king who was Jewish, Herod, put him in jail and he's in jail and he went from being evil proof to doubting. His disciples sent messengers to Jesus and said, are you really the one? Are you really the one? What about Jeremiah? Prophet to the nations. Powerful messenger. And then he cries out, God, you become like a deceptive stream to me. Curse me the day I was born. Do you fit any of those? I don't know if you fit that category. And then after Peter, God restores him on the, you know, on the beach there. He's resurrected and asking Peter, do you love me three times? Well, you know all things. Feed my sheep. But if you read the story of Peter and he preaches on the day of Pentecost, when you get to the ninth chapter of <laughs> Acts, it's been years now after Christ has ascended. He's still a Jewish bigot. I won't. God had to send him a vision. Arise, kill, and eat. Oh, no, I don't eat unclean things. No, you just denied me three times when I needed you, Peter. But eventually he gets that right. He goes to Cornelius, this Roman centurion, and and a, a God-fearing man, and he's able to share the gospel with him. And, and he said, what, 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 I, what God revealed to me, God revealed whatever God makes pure, no man can call unclean. So he's good, right? Years later, the apostle Paul said that he fell into hypocrisy because of the Jews. So the power resided. He was evil proof over here. He had wavering moments in his life. God is continually teaching him. And then over here, the power would reside with religion. He was more worried about the Jews, and he became a hypocrite. Paul said he stood condemned. Now, he got it right. God got it right in him. But so I'm going to ask you, so you go back into 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is God's people. You know what they wanted? They told Samuel, the priest's sons had died. And they said to him, what did they say to him? First Samuel chapter 8, he said, and they said to him, behold, you've grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. This was with Samuel, yes. And he said, now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nation. This thing was displeasing to Samuel. And God said, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me from being king over them. God's people they wanted a king to survive. They thought that's where power resided. That's where they thought. The Pharisees, they were the epitome of huh, the priest survives because power resided in their phylacteries and their ability to quote scripture and the power that they perceived that they received from that. In fact, they, they conspired against Jesus because he challenged their authority. It says they were jealous of him. Knowledge. Solomon said, if you think power resides in knowledge, 
And I want to tell you, I lived in Abilene for 14 years, three private Christian universities. Just about every professor and preacher up there had a PhD and all kinds of letters before and after their name. And I saw that world of academia. And Solomon would say that men will pursue knowledge. And it's all vanity. Paul will write to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. But maybe we think that is where power resides. Money. I've already mentioned the rich young ruler. What must I do to obtain eternal life? Keep the commandments. Which ones? I've kept those. What other? Go sell everything you have and come follow me. He went away sad. Because he was one who owned much. He went away sad because that's where power resides. That's where power resides. So I want to challenge you, as I was challenged this week, I, I, I tell you, this is such a gripping, true reality, biblically, spiritually. It just is. You can see it everywhere. And like the one individual said to me, he said, this changes everything for me. I, I don't think I'll ever look at myself again or or people again, I, I'll just say, okay, where's the power residing in my life right now? Because that's either motivating my faith or my fear. Where is this person, from a ministry standpoint, even in your family, helping you try to understand people? We've been called to be compassionate and try to understand people. Maybe this person is, maybe something tragic has happened in their life. Look what Job's friends do, did. What did Job's friends do? They came and visited with him. He'd lost all of his children. His, his, well, his, and you know what he did? You want about evil proof? Job was evil proof. He lost everything. And the first thing that he did was he fell down and worshiped God. And when his friends and his, even his wife tried to convince him about how evil he was, he told his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women. We don't worship God only when he gives... The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I know that my Redeemer lives. He was evil proof. Joseph was evil proof. Joseph had a vision from God and he shared it with his brothers and they sold him into slavery that conspired to kill him first. He, he goes and, and, and he, he could have curried favor with a lot of people. Potiphar was a pretty powerful guy. You know the story of Potiphar's wife. But he knew where power resided. He did the right thing. And ultimately, he spent 13 years in an Egyptian prison. But he was evil proof because when he was an old man and, 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 and people had conspired, what he says, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Now, my desire for you, myself, and this church is I read this in 1 Peter. We're to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. You want, I, I've known a number of people in my life that are evil proof. I really have. And it's based upon one thing. They are convinced that their life is a living proof of it. They know where power resides. They could slip over here occasionally, but they always get back here. They're not just speaking their faith. They're not living like a Pharisee. They're not living like those people in Romans 10 and verse 1 that have a passion for God, but not in accordance with God. They're trying to establish their own. They're not living like the Pharisees. 
conspiring and whatever, you know, the things they were doing, puffing themselves up, however, what we do. I'm guilty of it. I am. I don't mean that self-deprecating or, you know, it's true. I'm, I'm guilty of that sin. I know what it is when I speak of it. I know what it is when the Bible makes an indictment. But I want to be here. And the way you reside here is that no matter what happens, no matter what happens in your life, by faith, you reside in the place that eternal, perfect power lives. You are protected by the power of God. I, I, I can turn the other cheek. The Bible says, isn't it better to be defrauded? Well, this guy wouldn't say it was. This guy wouldn't. He doesn't even understand it. This guy over here will say, yeah, it is. It is. You want my shirt? I'll give you my jacket. Because I understand where power resides. I understand where, and that person is evil proof. And that's what Peter was writing to the church that was being persecuted. You know these things. And the most important thing you need to know about the great rich mercy of God and his foreknowledge and the sanctifying work of the spirit through the blood of Jesus is that you are protected by the power of God. You can even love your enemies if you're protected by the power of God. You can become selfless if you're protected by the power of God. You can worship from a heart if you're protected by the power of God. You can endure persecution and trial. Matthew said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, all those beatitudes, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you. Great is your reward in heaven. I want to I be where Nothing fades away. Nothing perishes. This thing's over quick. I was telling my dad the other day, he turns 88 in October, and he asked me, he said, well, how old are you? Because he's in the early stages of dementia. Now, I could, my father, I just did love and adore, I could, waver you know where am I going to be how, how, what, what's that all about God or I could you know or I could just be I could see the beautiful foreknowledge of God and the lessons that I'm learning from that but he said well how old are you I said well dad I'm 63 he said it's hard to believe I have a son that old I look at Blake and I look at all these kids over here, little Hannah and Hudson and little Hudson and uh, Fabiola and all the kids. You, know, you got your kids. This thing's over quick. It's over. It's over quick. I'm going to finish here with a story that happened several years ago. I got a phone call in the middle of the night, and it was from the hospital in Abilene. And uh, they said, we've got somebody on life support. It's a mother, and her children are here. And they need a preacher. I was doing a uh, 
uh, hospital chaplaincy uh, pro, uh, uh, internship. And so I didn't know who they were, so I, I went and uh, get to the hospital. And the two daughters, there's a couple of daughters, and they're crying. And anyway, I'm able to go, and I just say, hey, I'm a preacher. And the mom is in there, and um, these people are distraught. This is their mother, and they obviously loved them. There were several siblings. And I said, uh, was your mother a Christian? Is she a Christian? Without hesitation, oh, absolutely. Oh, and then the way this, oh, man, our mother, yes, she was a Christian. We, we saw it. We witnessed it. Uh, and I loved what they said, the testimony. said, you know, her mom was always humble. She, she just was humble. She was kind. Um, she was giving. So I don't think she had an enemy in the world. Just to hear children gathered around a woman, I don't know. I've never, and she's dying. She's on life support. They're going to take her off life support. And uh, it was such a powerful moment. And, and, uh, but she's a Christian. And I said, do you know what's going to happen to her when you take her off life support? These are, the, these are the moments that I live for in ministry. They're, you know, I, I think it's a great privilege and important to preach God's word, but what I really live for in ministry is these moments. And uh, I really have a, a special affinity for people like Don Brink, and anybody that serves and, because you're, you're with people and they're dying and they're hurting or they've gotten the disease of cancer or the disease or whatever. And... Um, but anyway, do you know what's going to happen to your mother when you take her off life support? Well, so let me tell you what's going to happen. She's going to go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. All five of her senses she'll still have. She'll, all five of them. In a way that she never had them before. She'll be in the presence of Jesus as God intended her to be. And there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. And I'm not telling her these to comfort them. We're going to get, I said, this is, where she, this is what's going to happen. Because she's a Christian. She's protected by the power of God. And she can be sure what she's going to obtain. She's going to obtain this. And it's not a, I hope so. It's, a, oh, I, man, it's a, I'm sure of this hope. And she's going to be like she's never been before. And then, and then, all she's going to wait on, like all the saints in heaven or in paradise, all the saints in paradise, all she's waiting for, and the creation is waiting for because it's groaning, because it's broken, is the second coming of Jesus. He's going to return. And the Lamb's book of life will be opened. Do you know that every person who has ever been born, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Every person. And I'll give you a biblical, but if you don't believe that, some of you think, huh, oh, I don't like that. Every person. The scripture says that their name would be blotted out. So the name is there. God did would not that one would perish. 
The name is there. You and I and everybody you've ever known, from the evil to the most pure, was formed in the image of God. But when he comes back, the book is going to be open, and through the process of your life, your, your, your name may be blotted out. And it'll be because you rejected God in some shape, form, or fashion. And if you don't know what that looks like, just read the New Testament. Jesus said it. Not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Another sermon for another day. But I said, she'll be in heaven waiting. For the sake, when Jesus returns in all of his might and glory, and it'll appear, and then every one of us is going to be brought before the great white judgment throne of heaven. And everything that you've ever done in your life and everything that you've ever thought that you should, wherever power resided, is going to come under judgment. Every single thing, every word and every deed. And some are going to be cast into an eternal lake of fire. That's what I shared with that family. I've shared it with many families over the years. And I have seen the sanctifying work of the Spirit. I have seen. The altar call that exists is a broken heart, a pierced heart, it's a broken heart through the preaching of the Word, the teaching of God's truth. And so a heart is pierced. And siblings receive Jesus Christ in a hospital room. I baptized people in a hospital ward, people that were dying of cancer. It's not about me. It's about being protected by the power of God. I hope you've been challenged. I, I have to say this, and I'm going to say it. And I'm going to say it with a pure heart in, in, with great love. I like to surround myself with people that are protected. That they reside here. They can get over here, but they reside here. Those, those are the best people in my life. The, the people that they're evil proof. Now they can, they can but they're evil proof. Because they, you know what? Because they know where power resides. And I'm going to say it. I'm going to give flowers where they're due. And I'm going to say it with a pure heart. Yeah, I'm so thankful for the elders that we have in this church. I know them. I know them. I know things about them that you don't know. I may know some things about them their wives don't know. I know them. And you know what? You know where they reside? They reside believing in the, that they're protected by the power of God. I can say that with my hand upon this word. In the presence of God with a pure heart. And I love that. I love that. I can't tell you how much I love that. And it's such an honor and a privilege. The challenge is, look into your own heart. Examine yourself. Just like the young man said to me this week, he said, Aubrey, I, I don't know that I'll ever. Could you imagine the first time those Christians heard this word? It changed their life. I am protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed at the end times. 
And without even saying anything about Jesus on the cross, where do you think he thought power resided? He was evil proof. Where do you think he thought power resided? We got a stained glass window. We got a cross. We got a crown of thorns. Used to, yeah, we got them right here. We got a hammer and anvils, stakes. Where do you think he thought power resided? What did he obtain? Where is he? Where are you in relationship to him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider the words of the apostle Peter, inspired words that you gave him through his Holy Spirit, we challenge ourselves, Father, to look intently Your word says these are the things that angels long to look into. I pray that we long to look into them. And that we have a heart and a spirit and a mind and a body that says we know there's only one place that power resides. And that is in the protection that you offer us through faith. In your son, Jesus Christ. Not a false faith. A genuine faith, Father. Through the sanctifying work of your spirit. We pray all these things in the name of your power that we are protected by. In the name of Jesus. Amen.